Um, today, we, tonight we have an awesome privilege. Our Valencia campus director, Alec Brockell, is going to be bringing the message. Yeah? So, uh, if you don't know Alec, let me just give you a backstory. Alec uh, was an intern of ours last year, stepped into being a director uh, this calendar year, um, has led Valencia. I mean, just done a tremendous job. Uh, if you just, if you want to know the kind of job Alec's done, just look at his leaders. Our Hunter's Creek group is going bananas. It's just exploding. It probably needs to multiply soon because there's only like a million people who go to Hunter's Creek. Uh, our, our Valencia West, formerly Windermere Life group, is just unbelievable. It's just got great people in it. Uh, the kind of people who are coming to know Jesus and getting discipled are incredible. Uh, and that's in part because of the leaders we have who are amazing. But the leaders we have are amazing because Alec does a tremendous job. He has a, a really just a heart for reaching people with the gospel and make sure they get discipled. And he has a heart for people, just for people, because he thinks people matter. And today he's going to come and talk on that theme. And so would you join me in welcoming our campus director, Alec uh, Brockell up. Thanks, Doug. Hey, guys. I want to tell you guys a story. It starts in eighth grade when Wall Street 2 came out. Anyone remember that movie? No? It was a movie about a stockbroker on Wall Street in New York City. And I remember watching it and leaving the theater and saying, Mom, I want to be a stockbroker. Eighth grade. I knew my, my major in college, my career path. And of course, her response was, okay. So we went by the bookstore, and she picked up my first ever finance book. And it was called The Intelligent Investor. I think we have a, there we go. And on the top, you see, it says, by far the best book on investing ever written by, that, that was Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, it's the third richest man in the world. I love this book. It like, it centered me, it was like this thick, and I remember getting a detention um, in class for reading that under my desk. Yeah, exactly. Well, I tell you this, guys, because after I read this book, I, I think my, my former director of the school I was in, he used to be a mortgage, a mortgage broker in Philadelphia. And he saw me carrying this book around, and he was like, Alec, I need to tell you about something. It's called the stock market game. And so he showed me this, this online competition, this online international competition, where schools from all over the world were given a hypothetical $100,000. And at the beginning of the semester, you would form a team, you would choose your stocks and bonds, and you would invest $100,000 in these companies for six months. At the end, the performance were measured, the rankings were given, and whoever won, won. Well, eighth grade, we started. It was me and three of my buddies. And I think, yeah, we placed top 10. I think we got ninth place, like, out of our regional competition. It was pretty good. Well, ninth grade, we did it again. I think a few more people came. I think it was eight of us. And we had one team again. And that time, in our regional competition, we got first. And we were so proud. And I think that year, we got in, like, the quarterly newsletter of our school. We were really stoked. Well, then the third year... Um, there was so much buzz around this. Thank you, sir. There was so much buzz around this that 40 students in my high school asked to join the stock market game with us. And we built our teams. I think we had like four teams of 10, and we invested. And this time we decided to go for the full international competition, not just the regional one. And that year we won first, second, and third place. 
out of all 52 international teams. It was awesome. I remember when we were doing this game, on the main website, on the homepage, there was this big clock. And it would start counting down at the beginning of the semester. And it would count down all the way down to the last day. And on the last day, something funny would happen. That clock would hit zero. And at the same time, your earnings would go back to zero. And it would be blotted out. And I remember every single time we won, it became bittersweet the moment that everything went back to zero. The reason I tell you this story, guys, is because let's turn in our Bibles to Luke 12. And in Luke 12, we're going to see a story. Actually, Jesus tells a parable about a man who spends everything he has trying to build up his wealth, trying to invest well. But when his clock hits zero, he loses everything. Okay? Let's pray before we start. Lord, we just love you, and we want this to be about you. These are truths that are important. Help us to just to meditate on them and to believe them, and just give us your Holy Spirit tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Luke 12, starting in verse 13, it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care. This is Jesus speaking still. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's a very interesting parable that Jesus tells. It's a very interesting text. And it was surprising to me that I never actually heard a sermon preached on this text before. But I think there's one main point that we all should get out of this text. And it might not be implicitly said, but work with and bear with me here and I think we'll get it. And that is, the only thing worth investing in is people. I'll say that again. I think the text tells us that the only thing worth investing in is people. And I think that's clear in this text for two reasons. Number one, because possessions are temporary. The only thing worth investing in is people because possessions are temporary. And number two, the only thing worth investing in is people because people are eternal. People are eternal. So let's look at number one. Possessions are temporary. Now what's going on here in chapter 12 is Jesus is in the midst of his traveling ministry. He's going town to town and he's preaching the gospel, doing miracles, casting out demons, all that Jesus stuff. Well, he gets to this town 
And this crowd starts to form. And the fair, one of the Pharisees that was in the town says, hey, Jesus, come dine with us. Come dine with us in our house. So he goes and has dinner with these Pharisees. And he leaves. And the text tells us that the crowd had only grown. There's this huge crowd outside that just bombards Jesus as he exits the house. And you know how you get after you eat dinner. You're kind of sluggish or what have you. He leaves and all these people are there. And we don't know if Jesus was an extrovert or an introvert by nature. So we don't know how, how excited he was to see all these people. But what we do know is that the first person to speak up that's recorded in Luke in this text, the first person to speak up says, teacher, tell my brother. It's the first four words. And guys, I just want to say that was the first mistake. The first mistake was approaching Jesus, God, and saying, hey, you tell my brother, right? But what does he say? He says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus answers, man, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? He tells them to guard themselves against covetousness. He tells them that life isn't in the abundance of possessions. And then he gets to this parable. And this parable is about a man who was probably a farmer, a businessman in the time. And he had all these goods. He had obviously several plenteous harvests the, the years before. And he has another great harvest that year. His first, his first thought isn't, man, I wonder if anyone around me is hungry. I wonder if the town over needs these crops. I wonder if anywhere in this region had a drought this year. His first thought is, man, I should really tear down my storage unit and build a bigger one. Let me show you what, what this is like, guys. Have you guys ever heard of Jay Leno? Jay Leno. Jay Leno was a, well, he, he is still a comedy, a late night comedy legend. And he, he ran the, the Tonight Show before Jimmy Fallon kind of just took over everything. Well, Jay Leno, though he is just, you know, outstanding stand-up comic, he actually has something that he is more obsessed with, and that is expensive, fast cars. Let me show you a picture. This is a small picture of Jay Leno's 130-car garage. It should be mentioned he also has 93 collectible motorcycles in there, 130 cars. He has his own converted airplane hangar in Southern California where he stores it all, 130 cars, right? Well, imagine with me that Jay keeps building his life around these cars. He, let's say he reaches 330, 430. Say he gets to 500 just one-of-a-kind sports cars. I'll tell you what, guys. Even with all of those sport cars, none of it, none of them will drive him to heaven. None of those sport cars will drive Jay Leno to heaven. And that's because possessions are temporary. And the value that, that possessions have in our lives is purely functional. And that's their, their value cap, right? Because they're valuable up to a, where we can use them. But what does God say here to the, to the rich fool? He says, fool, this night your soul is required with you. And guess what? Your possessions can't come with your soul. Your possessions can't come with your soul. So you see here that, first of all, the only thing worth investing in is people because you can't drive your car to heaven. You can't drive your car to heaven. But number two, we also see that people are eternal. 
I, <laughs> I, I kind of pity the man who came to Jesus with the demand. Because, I mean, Jesus gets pretty real really fast. He, he kind of turns him into his sermon illustration, right? He's like, the man comes up and is like, Jesus, you know, that my brother, this, that, and the other, you know, can you dispute, the, can you solve this dispute that we have? And Jesus goes, who made me arbitrator over you? Who made me judge? And he doesn't even say anything else. He turns to the crowd and says, this, this right here, don't do this. this. This right here, this is covetousness. Guard yourselves against covetousness. Because life consists in more than the abundance of possessions. What I think is really interesting about this man is that the, the demand that he makes shows where his heart is. The demand that when he sees Jesus, what pops into his mind when he sees Jesus, that's the telltale sign of what he really loves. And that's the telltale sign in our lives of what we really love. When we come into God's presence, what is the first thought? Is the first thought, what can I get? This is what the man had, right? And Jesus knows something. Jesus knows the great commandment. He knows that we're to love God first, to love people second. And loving, loving things is okay, right? Loving things is all right. But it's a value thing. And by nature, God is the most valuable, and we're to value him because he's the center of reality. He's the center of eternity. People are to be loved second because people are eternal. People are eternal. People are the only things we can take with us to heaven. And we love possessions third because possessions have that cap on it. If you can't use it and you can't enjoy it, then it's no longer valuable, right? Well, <laughs> Jesus makes him a sermon illustration because the guy has it all flipped upside down. And Jesus sees that immediately as, as soon as he demands the possessions from his brother. Jesus realizes three things. One, that the possessions are the end goal. The possessions are the end goal for this man. He comes to Jesus with already thinking ahead of time, hey, I have, I have these possessions that I want. I'm going to go to Jesus. Two, this man sees his brother as a means to the possessions. He sees his brother as some, an obstacle to getting to what he wants. But I think the worst out of the three, if I may, is that this man sees Jesus as an authoritative means to controlling his brother in order to get his end goal, right? And Jesus calls him on it, man. He, it doesn't sound like Jesus is happy here. And he, he makes him this example. And he says, this is something foolish to do. Something foolish. Because the only thing worth investing in is people. Because possessions are temporary, like Jay Leno's cars. And people are eternal. People are never means to an end. Now, if this is true, and I believe it is, I believe it's clear in this text. If this is true, I think as Christians or as non-Christians, we, we should change some of the ways that we live maybe. And maybe it should shape, these truths should shape some of the ways that we live. And I think that there's two main ways. I think first, we should know that investing is more than just money. Investing is more than just money. There's this really cool author I like. His name is Tim Ferriss. I think he's written four um, number one bestsellers on The Wall Street Journalist. He's really, really smart. And he calls himself a, a human guinea pig. I think like when he lists his, his, his creds, his street creds, it's like he's 
um, won a tangle competition in Argentina. He's won like a um, horseback archery competition in Japan. He's just a crazy dude. Well, Tim Ferriss now describes himself as an angel investor. And what an angel investor is, it's really interesting. An angel investor is someone who gets brought on to the board of directors of a company in exchange for stock in the company. So he gets part of the company like a normal investor would, but he's not adding money. He's adding knowledge. And they pay him out of the company's shares in order to come and invest his time and knowledge. Why is this important for us? Well, I think first of all, because we're mostly broke in here, right? I mean, I am. (laughs) And I think a frustrating part of this is that we see Jesus saying, hey, you should invest. You should invest your lives in people. And we go, but Lord, I don't really have much to invest. I I don't really have possessions I can go and sell. I don't have anything I can really contribute. What we have to realize is that we are angel investors for the kingdom. As college students, if you're a Christian and you're a college student, you're an angel investor for the kingdom of God. Because what you do have are some talents. I don't know what. I know Justin and Maddie have great voices. I know Clarence has an amazing, like, awesome instrument gift. I don't even know how to describe it. I know each of us here have two hands that we can pat someone on the back and say, I'm sorry, man. We have a voice that can say, hey, Jonathan, dude, you look great tonight. You just look excellent. You can encourage people. And if we get stuck on this idea that, hey, I don't have cash flow. I can't invest in the kingdom like, like some of the adults in our church. We're going to get stuck. And I don't think Jesus wants, to do that, wants us to do that. But second of all, and this is the big one, I want us to realize, and I want us to, if these things are true, if, if the only thing worth investing in really is people, then the second thing that we need to realize is that people are never bad investments. People are never bad investments. And this is, a, this is the tough one. It really is. Because we all have felt the pain of someone that we poured into leaving our life. Whether that's a relationship, boyfriend or girlfriend, whether that's someone that you've met with for coffee for 10 weeks, reading some book, and you've been talking about Jesus, and at the end of that, they say, you know, I really just... I just want to go back to my frat. I just want to kind of party. That happens, guys. It does, especially in college ministry. You're going to see so many people come and go, and it's heartbreaking. But let me promise you that just because they go doesn't mean they're a bad investment. And here's why. In the New Testament, Paul tells us something. He says, some of our jo- we, we each have jobs, and for some of us, the job is to water. For some of us, the job is to plant. For some of us, the job is to just take care of the soil. But it's God who gives the increase. It's God who gives the increase. And so what our goal is, let's, let's just put this in spectrum terms. If, you've, if you're a leader with us or if you've been around for a while, you've probably heard of the spectrum. What the spectrum is, is you basically have everyone on, a, on this spiritual spectrum where a negative four is someone who knows nothing about God and a plus three is a fully functioning follower of Christ, right? It's that spectrum. And you might invest, invest, and invest, and all you see is your negative four who, you know, doesn't know anything about Christ. They become a negative three. Or they don't believe, but 
You know, they're kind of open. They don't hate Christ, right? Or you may see you, you spend three years meeting with this person to disciple them, to love on them, to buy them coffee. You've spent like over a hundred bucks in the past year buying this guy food. And he's only moved from like a negative 0.5 to like a zero. Like he, he just prayed to receive Christ, but that's it, right? Or even worse, you might have someone who you thought was a plus one, someone who, you know, loved Jesus at least. They didn't really know how to live the Christian life, but they loved Jesus, and you spent all this time and effort and encouragement on them, and then they say, no, I don't want to be a Christian. And you realize that they're really a negative three. And that can be heartbreaking. But let me tell you this. What's more valuable? What's more valuable? Getting to see the final result now or having, or in other words, only investing in people who you know you're going to see the final result in now, which by the way, you, you can't guarantee that anyways, or investing in people and having God said, well done, good and faithful servant at the end of your life, or even better, getting to heaven one day and seeing people there and saying, you were in my life group. I thought you left. I thought you left the faith. And then I say, yeah, I did. I left the faith. But I remembered some of the stuff that you told me. And later in life, I, you know, I went through a divorce. And when I was at my end, I remembered what you told me about Jesus. And I just prayed. And God just changed my life. Guys, that's what should get us excited. That's what should get us excited. Because if this is true... If possessions are temporary and people aren't, people are eternal, that's the only thing we're supposed to be investing in. And I'm not saying that possessions are bad, because possessions aren't. Jay Leno's cars aren't bad. I bet they're super fun to drive, actually. Like, I'd love to drive his McLaren. Look that up if you, have, if you don't know what that is. All the guys in the room are like, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but if this is the case, if this really is the case, if the McLaren dies and people don't, then... Every inch, that, every, every ounce of energy and time and effort and sweat and blood and tears that we pour into people, in some way or another, will be rewarded. It's just, it's just basic economics, basic economics. I know this is rather short compared to Doug's long-winded messages. But I think the best is safe for last. And that is because, guys... All this can be confusing as we're trying to navigate it. It can be really confusing trying to understand or trying to really believe that people are, are eternal when things aren't, when things feel so good and people really hurt us. But if you need, if you need that last little push to believe this, just look at the life of Christ. Look at the life of Christ. Jesus is the richest, the richest person in all of history. He's God. He has all the riches of heaven. He created all the riches on earth. And Jesus, the New Testament says, gives up his wealth and comes to earth as a lowly servant. And guess who he chooses to be his disciples? Twelve rough Middle Eastern men. <laughs> Just rough dudes, fishermen and thieves. And Judas, by the way. Judas, who he knew was going to be what we would call a bad investment. Judas was going to betray him. 
And Jesus invests in him anyways. But not just that. Jesus doesn't just think that people are never bad investments, but he also understands that investing is more than just money. It's not just that he gives up his riches, guys. It's not just that he comes and he, and he invests in people, but he invests with his blood. He goes to the cross and he pays the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate payment. He invests his entire life to not just save his disciples, but to save you and me, who, Lord knows, I betray him more than Peter ever did. That's the gospel, guys. That's why we live. That's why we breathe. And that's why the only, only, only thing worth investing in is people. Because people are the only thing you can take with you to be with Jesus. Let's pray.